0: Last Ones at the Bar, exclusively talks about the sport of boxing. Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the baddest boxing podcast in the land with the past, present, and future as far as objective and non-biased conversations about the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry and I'm joined by Daniel Lee. Danny, let them know who you are and where you're from.
1: Yes, sir. My name is Daniel Lee. As he said, I'm from the 757 area Virginia Beach. If you guys aren't familiar with the, the Virginia area codes, I've been following boxing for a good, probably 12 years now. It's crazy. When we first started this, I was saying it was like nine or 10 and now it's like 12 or 13. But but yeah, man, welcome to all the new listeners. Uh, glad to have you. Will, you want to you want to intro yourself real quick?
0: Uh, man, I just wanted to let people know who might just be visiting our show for the first time. Like I said, we're the Baddest Boxing Podcast. Me, myself, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, that's the place that him and Ken, you know, Latrell Spreewell, he, who, you know, they did it up. Me, I did both. Who was out of this tradition up? You understand what I'm saying? So, our partner, Vail, he's out today. You know, he's out doing the low management. And, um, you know, I also want to Lend a little support to my, my partner, Danny, because I know that uh, Tech they kind of let you down this weekend. You know, how you holding up,
1: my good guy? Man, you know what? According to Sportsbook.com, we were just like underdog. We, we looked good, you know, it was just we didn't have that dog in us. You know what I mean? And so I thought it was a good game and, and congrats to LSU. I genuinely think we would have had a chance against Iowa. You know, it happened. We still made history on our side. And so I'm I'm glad that we made it that far anyway. So it was yeah, good. It was, a good game. it was
0: there for the taking. You know, I text you because I was just under the impression that they were gonna take it because they were, you know, up pretty much the whole game. They were controlling the tempo and everything. So I was like, hey, they they're in there, you know what I'm saying? And I remember Don Staley, she was saying when they were going to the final four, let's make it. I want to say that's the SEC. Um, she was like, "Let's make this for ACC. Let's make this uh, um, our conference affair. That might be the SEC, but anyway, with with them and LSU. And so I was kind of already assuming that they was gonna make it too because they were talking about how great South Carolina is. And it was kind of like a foregone conclusion that they were gonna be in the championship. But then you got the other that girl, Kat, like Caitlin uh, Clark. She is a monster. That's you a bad woman.
1: Did you, you check that one out? I did, man. She's she's cold. It's like. It's almost nothing you can do with her. She's dropping triple-doubles, double-doubles, 40 points. Like, she's putting buckets on your head. But you know what you got to do, though? I think
0: that you, you can't have too much pride. And I think that coaches, you might have players who be like, no, I got her. No, don't, don't even approach it like that. You got out the gate. You got to, like, triangle to her. You got to get the ball out of her hands as much as possible. i talking about out the gate. Like, you can't even wait because she is – like, from the start, she she is already, like, cooking and, and ready to, you know, rock and roll once soon as she steps foot on that court. So, you know, shout out to her. You know, shout out to the women for putting it on. You know, on the men's basketball side, that's been some interesting games as well. I think that was San Diego State hit that shot at the buzzer yesterday. Crazy. But, uh, yeah, it was crazy. But if I had to put some money to my uh, sportsbook.com, if I had to put some money on it, I would have to go with UConn on the men's side. And I'm not counting out Caitlin, uh Clark as well. But, you know, she's a superstar. Yesterday we had, you know, a superstar that was uh, fighting early out there in the U.K. You had Anthony Joshua. He was taking on Jermaine Franklin um, in a huge event out there in the U.K. Uh, Danny, what did you think about AJ's performance yesterday?
1: Well, the Bavada odds going into that was minus 1,200 for AJ. So you would have had to put down 1,200 to win 100 or plus 700 for Jermaine Franklin. So if you put down 100 for Franklin, you could have won 700 if he would have won. But in terms of the fight itself, I'm not going to go round by round because either you watched the fight already or you would probably rather go see a 2 minute highlight on YouTube than to listen to me go round by round. I'll just talk about what I saw. I thought that AJ did a good job working the jab. I thought he had a pretty good gas tank overall but his punch output was low and he wasn't throwing like a ton of combos behind the jab from what I could see at the same time, what I got from that was that Derek James, you know, that was his first time in Derek James camp. He was probably working on a lot of basics with him. And then that was part of the game plan, meaning that maybe it's possible that, you know, what based on what James saw in Franklin, he thought that a version of AJ just throwing the basics, was enough to win that fight and then they could build on that in future fights. Maybe that's just speculation on my part. But uh whenever he was able to land that uppercut though, uh that uppercut was clean when he was able to land it and it, and it caused damage. I know in the 10th round he hit Franklin with one of those uppercuts similar to what he hit Klitschko with. Um Jermaine Franklin was not knocked down but it was it was very clean and he got clipped. I thought that he was still AJ was still a little timid and his movement was kind of robotic. On Franklin's side, I liked that he came in in the shape that I thought he would. Uh, He was definitely game, and for the most part, I liked the way he was moving. It's just that he was there to be hit by the jab too much. And although he hit AJ hard enough to make his nose bleed in that second round, he didn't really hit him hard enough to alter his game plan, and he didn't really set up anything of substance either. According to the CompuBox, AJ landed 117 out of 376, or 31%. uh, He landed 57 out of 225 jabs. He landed 60 out of 151 power shots. Franklin, he landed 58 total out of 426, or 13%. Uh, He did 21 out of 241 jabs and 37 out of 185 power shots. So after the fight, of course, on Twitter or on wherever folks in the boxing game, whether they're ex-coaches, ex-fighters, or current fighters, you know, they have comments and the fans, of course. And there were several comments about people not being impressed with his performance, quote unquote. In terms of this, like I wasn't mad at AJ, um, uh, in terms of what I saw. I feel like I look at it like this. In the grand scheme, we have a guy who he hasn't lived up to his own expectation in the last few fights. And so he's he's rediscovering himself as a person, as a fighter in real time. And so, you know, part of what that looks like for us on the outside is, you know, him switching trainers and you know, some of those, if you want to call it outbursts, like for example, at the end of the Usyk fight, and then at the end of this fight where where there was like a minor scuffle at, at the end of the 12th round. And so that's part of what that looks like on the outside. But he seems to have been content with uh, Derek james to the legend. so i'm assuming that he's going to get another camp in with them at least in which he should get better like this version of aj should get better it's just going to take time Um another thing that i think is that the only thing that matters at the end of the day is that he won this fight you know like if he were to get some kind of dominant fourth round knockout that doesn't mean that he was going to be able to beat the elites at the division and with him winning the way that he did that also doesn't mean he's going to lose to the least. Like, I don't think the result, the way this would have played out, sways future fights. That's just the way I see it. I just think that he's going to beat who he's supposed to beat and lose who he's supposed to lose to. I also thought that, you know, people were underrating Franklin coming into this. And Franklin, you know, let's call it for what it is. He was meant to pose a threat, but not win. And, you know, credit to him because he came in in the best shape in years. And he generally thought he was going to win that fight. Now, you could tell coming into the fight, you could tell by his body language in the fight that he could tell that he genuinely thought he was going to win. And so the confidence was up, which made it a harder fight for AJ. But uh, that's all I got. What did you think, Will?
0: Uh, it's, you know, AJ, he's at a point now where he is trying to really, truly find out where he needs to go, what he needs to do. And it's a perfect marriage between him and Derek James right now because he's in that vulnerable state. You know, people are going to complain about what they see with AJ because what Derrick James is going to be charged with is stripping him of what they had built of AJ previously. Now, what they did with him wasn't bad. But there's there, there's more vulnerability in the AJ that you saw under the other trainers, where the best thing that I saw yesterday, one, or the best things that I saw, so you didn't see him like drop his stamina because he did basically the same thing kind of over and over. And Franklin's doing the same thing over and over too, but he never overexerted himself. So he did just enough with what he had to do in order to get the round. And sometimes that's enough where, okay, I won that round, but I'm not putting myself where I'm vulnerable. Um, and then also I'm not overextending myself where it becomes a time in the fight where it becomes a time in the fight where my energy is at. And I remember watching him against Fusick the last time that they fought, he had like, he put everything into the ninth round. In the following round, he was done. He was done for the rest of the fight. So Derrick James is working with him on those days. I'm assuming this is what they're doing. And so that's one thing. The other thing is he's not putting himself, at least based on yesterday's fight, in danger of being clipped. He never really engaged with Franklin to the point where it was something that Franklin, although Franklin's not a power puncher, but he still never put himself in position where he can get clipped, like Stephen Colbert last week. He didn't do that. That's another good thing. And so if you just get those little basic things down where the number one thing is to get that victory and with the least opportunity for your opponent to be able to get a victory over you, then that's what it's all about because he has a huge following now. Now, some of the ways that he'll win moving forward may not be the most pleasing to the eye, but at the same time, what it's doing is it could extend his career longer. It could also give him a higher percentage of beating guys um, in the heavyweight division. At this point where AJ is, I don't like him against any of the top 10 guys because yesterday I was thinking, I said, well, you know, if he's fighting Franklin, then why didn't he just fight Billy and White? I'm glad that they didn't do that. Because Dillian White is one of those guys who's going to take chances. And right now, where he is, he's like a house that you strip everything down. Now, when you look at it, are like, oh, man, this house right here, you know, it doesn't look like much right now that we stripped everything down. But now that you have the foundation where you want it, then you can add things to it. And that takes time to be able to do that. So right now, it's very important for him to get the right fights, to work on the right things and we'll get to what it is that uh where he goes from here um but just based on yesterday to the naked eye it, it looks it doesn't look pleasing but i think the route that they're going it, it looks like he's buying into what is being told to him of Barry James I think that they can go a pretty long way. I don't know as far as, like, the upper echelon guys. AJ is always going to have trouble with this, based on what I see. He's going to have trouble with dudes who are slick. They got a little slickness about them. They can move a little bit. And then they're going to, like, approach him with punches and barrages. Like, you know, Ruiz can do that. Franklin could have did it more, but he just – he's Franklin is only – it's a certain level where Franklin can go, and he's, he doesn't hit that hard, and he has to be very – cognizant of what's coming at him, because he's, even though he's heavy, he's still kind of a smallish heavyweight, but anytime you look at something, that's why Usyk was having so much success, although he's, like, an extremely great fighter, it's just that shiftiness and people who are going to be quick, they can, like, throw punches, because he's going to shell up a little bit, and that's something that I don't know if Derrick James is going to be able to help him with, because he, he what Franklin said going into the fight, he doesn't like to get hit. And that's, the, uh, you know, something that I don't know if he, he, he's ever – nobody likes to get hit. You know, I'm just saying, I'm like, being able to put yourself in a position where you can take a little bit more of a chance and you can take some steam off some shots if you do get hit. I don't know. He just seems like a guy who isn't um, able to do that. I don't know if, he, he's able, if he'll ever be able to do that. You know, I don't know if it's the fact that he's used to – you know, waking up, growing up, you know, with tea time and, you know, playing cricket and all that type of stuff. I don't know if that translates into somebody who is willing to get down and dirty when they have to, you know what I mean? But he keeps working with Derek James. I like the direction that they're going for the sustainability of his career and then also extending his career and being able to beat certain guys and not beating yourself, like getting tired and then you ended up losing that way or you get hit in an exchange when you don't necessarily have to do those things. So they're building a nice foundation with them, but it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. You have anything else as far as what you saw yesterday?
1: No, man. I just want to say the UK fans are going to hate us, bro. Shout out to the UK listeners, bro. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> now, as far as, uh, do you want me to just go into like where, where I think he's going to go from here or you he should go from here? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So what I think, Moving forward with AJ, this is a good step, you know, and it's going to come with a little backlash or a lot of backlash from some people because they're going to look at it and be like, man, this dude right here, he fell off. But again, sometimes you have to hurt something before you can help it. And that goes with like mentality-wise, like you got to break something down and then build it up the right way. And I think that that's what they're doing. And like I said, hopefully they have enough time to be able to, you know, um, finish this whole process. Now, for me... I think that with another training camp with Derrick James, these are the three fights for him that I would like to see next. And I think that the, the fight that I would like to see last is the youngest guy. And I'll get to him in a second, unless he just, he ends up losing somebody. But I would like to see him, these two guys, well, I would, I would go in this direction. I would go with Dillian White. I would have that fight next. AJ still should be able to beat Dillian White. Now that's going to be challenges there because Dillian White is a guy who's going to go for it. Like you're really going to have to beat him, but that could be Anthony Joshua's Ray Mercer fight. When I was talking in previous podcasts about how Lenny's Lewis had that fight that pushed him where he had the, you know, have the intestinal fortitude because Dillian White's going to go out on the ship. He's just going to clip him and get him out of there where he might have some rocky moments. Um, but at the end of the day, I think at this point, you know, he still should be able to beat Dillian White, especially with another camp with Derrick James. And I think his antennas will be up for Dillian White because Dillian White talks so much. They have like a little bit of bad blood. And um, I think that that's what he should do next. That'll be another big event. Um, and that'll let him know where he is. The next fight that he should fight would be Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz is past it, still has some offense left, but at this point, A.J. still should be able to dust off Luis Ortiz. So I would go with that fight next. Then the third fight, I would fight Philip Herkovich. Then I would, I would take that because he's a younger guy, not necessarily up and coming. He should be in his prime now, too. But I think AJ is still better than him. And that will build his confidence. After the Herkovich fight, then it would be time for one of the big guys. Either you're going to have to, you know, face your fears, man. If you're going to go ahead and take the Wilder fight, if you're going to take the uh, Fury fight, you know, or you can take the Juggernaut, you know, Joe Joyce. So it would be one of those guys. Right now, it's two, I wouldn't want to see A.J. against those guys, but after facing the three guys that I mentioned, I think that his confidence will be truly there, and I think that the process would be complete with him and Barry James. And so that's what I would like to see when him moving forward. What about you?
1: You know, I really like that Dillian White suggestion. I think that would be – they're already both in-house, and it would make sense. Like, Dillian White's been wanting get back for a minute, and this time it's actually beneficial for A.J. Because they're like, all right, I'll dust you off and, and get out the camp. In I would not be mad at the Ortiz either. The only obstacle there is him being PVC. Um, but in terms of what I see, you know, he called out Fury. And if Fury goes for it, I don't like that fight for him uh, now or ever. But there's arguably the biggest money fight that he'll be able to get. If not, it can be tricky because he, he has fought a good amount of the top heavyweights. And the uppercomers could give him problems, and then it depends on the schedule, you know hypothetically speaking, if he Eddie Hearn said he wants him to fight two more times this year, so hypothetically speaking, he could get that white fight and then a second fight in or a third fight in rather in December time frame, I would avoid Joe Joyce like the plague if I was him um just because there were bigger money options out there. I was thinking about Hergovich, and that depends on the timing of it because we don't know what is going to do. Hergovich is a mandatory, I believe, the IBF mandatory. He might want to potentially ruin that Usy mandatory spot, but he also might not. So I would not be mad at that, but you know that could be an obstacle there. I wouldn't be mad at him fighting like a Frank Sanchez either, but he's PBC as well, so that might be complicated. But, yeah, I think to your point, like, I agree with the basic fundamental point in that I think he does need another fight or two. Um, But then after that, I would say Fury or Wilder, because after that, like, I don't know what else there is to do for him as a fighter unless he just really still really wants to do this. But, yeah, I think that, you know, he still has some left in the tank and I'm I'm excited to see how he's put back together, like how that foundation is built, because he is—he could have something with Derrick James. And so, one more question for you though, before we we move on, unless you have something else as well. But but right today, where would you rank him as a heavyweight?
0: After yesterday, um, if I look at the the top guys, he is—he—he's—he's mid top ten. He's mid top ten. He can beat some of those guys. And he can very well lose to some of those guys. That's below him. That's in the top ten. You mentioned a guy. Um, I would say probably like six or seven. I'm talking based on yesterday. Now his ceiling, with a little bit more tutelage from Derrick James, would be right under Wilder. So it would be Fury, Usyk. Then you got Wilder, and then Joyce, and then AJ. That's where he is going to be once he gets a couple more fights. But like right now, I would be concerned with guys like if he tried to fight Ruiz again because he has such quick hands and he's going to get touched. And the way he's fighting right now, I don't know if he's just ready for everything that would be thrown at him, you know, in a fight like that. Or even you just mentioned a guy, I would say stay the heck away from Frank Sanchez. He's too quick. And he's going to go for the gusto sometimes, too. Like, he's going to come in there with some of those, those bombs, and he can, he's tricky, and he can catch you with some of that stuff. He's 6'4", and can move like a, a, a light heavyweight, middleweight, and I think that would be all wrong for AJ, and at some points he's going to be getting caught. Um, so, and you don't have to fight him. Like, hey, nobody even really knows what Frank Sanchez is, so why even start, you know, even mentioning somebody like that it wouldn't make any sense um so yeah I think that he could make it to right under Joyce at at one point I thought I would fade I would have favored him against Joyce but the more I see Joyce it's just his what he does well typically is something that AJ lacks he didn't show it yesterday but Joyce is just one of those big dudes who keeps coming keeps coming he gets stronger and then he appears to get even a little bit faster as the fight but once he gets revved up and then it'll and then he has a chin you know a, a titanium chin that i don't think that aj would be able to put a vent in so you know somewhere between five and i would say seven or eight what about you
1: yeah, I got them around the same. I mean, our top three is about the same. Our top four is about the same. I would say Joyce is at number four pretty comfortably. And Sanchez, I believe he's ranked like ninth, somewhere between ninth and 10th in the ring and and uh, according to the ring rankings. And yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying because he could definitely give him problems. I guess I meant somewhere, someone like ranked among that before he, before he were to fight you know one of those top three or four oh. uh, but yeah I have him somewhere between I think someone like a Jerry Anderson even as, as he's still relatively green but I think Jerry Anderson could give him problems because of his movement because his power because of his punch output he could definitely give AJ problems Um Waleen might could give him problems Otto Waleen mm-hmm. and so I have him somewhere in that fifth to seventh place as well which is you know not bad and I don't want to like you know, crap on a guy, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to be a top-tier fighter, especially when you have all this hype built up about you, but, but yeah, that's where I think, that's where I think he he is about it. You know, truthfully speaking, they carefully
0: crafted AJ, you know what I'm saying? Like, the biggest victory that he had was really, to me, that Klitschko fight, but if you look at his other opponents, it's, they kind of either tailor-made or if they weren't, they gave him all types of trouble. You know what i'm saying and that facade that was created he's a he's a money getter you know what i mean and they went for the bread they went for the money and so you left with this unfinished product that could have been this is some of the stuff that they should have did with him before he got the title it just so happened but he made a you know a bowl load of money you know, with that facade, which is cool. Now, the only thing, the drawback of that is that he kind of embraced and he felt as though that was more truthful than what it it was building and putting to the public. And so he kind of bought into that. Now it's more so stripping him back down and, and, and being back into reality, understanding what, you know, my true attributes are and how do I harness these attributes? in order to be the come the most complete fighter that I can be. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's still early, you know, and the jury's still out on what's going to happen, you know, with this marriage between him and Derrick
1: Jones. Yep, I agree. I have nothing more to add to that. We want to go ahead and
0: uh, go into uh, a, a, another fight card that took place yesterday. I'm not even going to kid you. And, you know, I'll let you cook. On an Isaac Bay, you know, he was in action against the up-and-coming C uh, Ramirez. Uh, what did you think about that fight, Danny?
1: Yeah, I mean, going into it, Bovada had the odds at uh, minus 800 for Robesi Ramirez, plus 475 for Isaac Dogbe. It went, if you guys listened to our predictions last week, it went about how I thought it was going to go more or less. Um, starting out, I thought that Ramirez, he used a good variety of feints and punches, including the jab that I mentioned that he needed to work last week. I thought the counter punching was there and I thought his movement was decent, but he was also still favoring uh, shooting that left hand a lot. And, you know, it was OK fighting a guy like Dog Bay and he's still young, but a more technical fighter with a high ring IQ is going to exploit that. But I thought that when he was out of range, he he kind of left himself. Just kind of there to be exploited, but Dogbe didn't really try to do anything with that. That he was still able to execute his game plan. And so, you know, for a, a for an opponent, the caliber of Dog Bay, I thought that he he prepared adequately. Clearly he did because he he's holding the the belt right now. But that's what I saw from him. On Dog side, we knew he would be game, but I thought that overall there were a few times where he let Ramirez off the hook. And it was like Dog Bay was either in his own head and was overthinking it, or he wasn't thinking enough. Like an example of overthinking was him randomly switching to Southpaw in round seven, and then he kind of stayed there for for what I thought was way too long. He like he wasn't having any success, and he just kind of just stayed in Southpaw. And um, and then in general, he just seemed hesitant, and he showed too much respect. Uh, kudos to to Barry Hunter. In his corner because Barry, he really tried to he, he was giving some sound advice and he really tried to coach him up in the fight. In between round four and five, he's he told him straight up. He was, like, look, you got to stop respecting this dude and go to work. Because he was really respecting what Ramirez was doing too much to where he was a little bit like, yeah, he was still kind of going for it. But he was a little timid at how he was going for it. Uh, but by the eighth round, I thought that Ramirez class started to show. And by the 12th, it was clear that Dog Bay needed a knockout. But instead of getting the knockout, he got caught off balance and got knocked down himself. Um, again, I thought his corner was doing the best they could to coach him up. Um, but there were things that he just couldn't implement. Uh, Ramirez, corner, they said that they were letting uh, Dog Bay shoot his load more or less in the first half of the round. And then they take over. Uh, Which I kind of saw like this was after this was kind of like late in the fight after the 10th round where they interviewed this corner and they said that and it kind of made sense because there were there were several rounds where you would kind of see Dog Bay looking good. And then Ramirez would kind of take over and the work that he would do in the last minute, minute and a half would win him the round. And so, again, I thought it was a good enough game plan for this fight. And then I imagine that was also better to kind of preserve his energy as well. I want to say this was his first 12-rounder. In terms of scoring, I personally scored at 117-110 in favor of Ramirez. The judges scored at 117-110. One scored at 118-109. And the other scored at 119-108. At the end of the fight, they said that the knockdown, they being a dog bait, they said the knockdown was BS, despite the card still being otherwise wide. And he called for a rematch. Look, is a nice guy. Like, I think he's a really nice guy, but he was delusional in that moment. Uh, even the analyst was was saying, like, well, yeah, you can think that, but but what about the rest of the card? Like, it would not have affected the card, even if that was BS. And he just seemed kind of fixated on his knockdown. And the knockdown was even reviewed, and it was ruled legit. And so, uh, and, and nobody wants to see that rematch. Like, let's be real. Uh, Ramirez, he said he's willing to put to take on anyone they put in front of him. Um, there are a few options, you know, including Joet Gonzalez, who who won in his undercard match, and maybe even unifying with the winner of the Luis Alberto Lopez and Mick Collin fight, because both of those guys are top ranking. And so he has a few options, but congrats to him, you know, two-time Olympian gold medal winner. And, uh, you know, for him to have, you know, got to this point in, you know, 11, 12 fights. Uh, Is definitely worthy of him being commended. So, very good fight. I know you didn't see it, but did you have any thoughts on the fighters in general, or maybe what you want to see from him uh, from here?
0: Yeah, it's when like I go into my old man rant. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, this old dog, baby man. I, I first and foremost, this fight had no business being on a Saturday night prime time. You know what I mean? Like that was an undercard fight to me. You know, so if it's gonna be on Saturday night, now Friday, cool. You know what I'm saying? But, and I feel like they're forcing the dog bays on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't see what it is that they see as far as him getting a lot of these opportunities that he's getting. He's a good little guy. You understand what I'm saying? But he's not somebody that is going to be any of the upper echelon. I just don't see it. I see a a nice, strong, 126, 122-pound guy. But he's limited. It's only a certain you mentioned his off it the and It's like a ceiling to what it is that he's able to do. I feel kind of the same way about Joey Gonzalez. Like those guys, but he was on the undercard, which is cool. I'm just saying like they keep pushing these guys out there and it's like, man, you know, and that's what they have to work with. I understand that as well. But you know, if you got Saturday night and you got the Clippers playing the Pelicans, I'm watching Kawhi. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm not overdog, man. You understand me? So that's where I was with it. You know, and it's not just top rank who does it. You know, you got um, PDC. It's a couple of guys. I feel like they pushing on us that they want us to be excited about. But they just they just not it. You know, what I mean, there's only certain guys that need to be on prime time. And I just don't think that those guys are prime time. Now, as far as where they go from here, Rosie Gonzalez, I think that. He uh, was was that for a title or was that just a title eliminator type fight?
1: Uh, it was a title title fight.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So for him, you know, moving forward, probably you know, trying to unify those belts. It's just one thirty is kind of thin. I mean, one twenty six is kind of thin down there. Um, so I just got to see more. It's just the times I've seen Rousey Ramirez, he just seems one dimensional. He's trying to do the same thing over and over. And I just think that somebody who's a little crafty, somebody sees seasoned, somebody who, you know, has some legit talent, that he's going to always have trouble against those guys. But, you know, we'll see. You know, like you said, he's still young in his career as far as the amount of fights that he had. So he still has, you know, ways to go. Now, I know, also, Nola, like I just mentioned Joey Gonzalez. What do you think about the undercard?
1: Yeah, so uh, that one I scored 98-92. Uh, The judges, two of the judges also scored a 98 92. One of them scored a 99 91 in favor of Gonzalez. I think that I agree with your assessment that you just said. And I thought that Tim Bradley summed up Gonzalez pretty nicely during the broadcast. He said that there are times where Gonzalez should choose the box smarter, but he chooses the box harder instead. Like, I thought it was a good Mexican-style fight where a lot of it was spent with the fighters in the middle of the ring. They had their both of their guard, like, the high guard up. They were trading blows, trading body shots. And I thought that when Gonzalez chose to throw the uppercut, it looked good. Um, and I thought he was overall sharper and more accurate um, because, you know, Vivas coming in this fight, he was known and is known for his punch output. Um, so for Gonzalez to have thrown less... And to have landed more, you know, shows you how the fight went. But he just made it harder than it had to be. And I just think that's who he is. That's what we've seen. I mean, I'll give him credit. You know, his the, the fighters that he's lost to, he has three losses. They've come to Dog Bay uh, for that's worth. Navarrete and Shakur Stevenson and those fights where he's been called upon to kind of do more and dig deep, like in those title fights. He just hasn't been able to. I don't know if it's a mental block or there's a a, a mental ceiling for him as a as a fighter because you know he has the talent, but there's just certain things that just the eye test tells me that he should be able to do more. Um, but in terms of the copy box, I'm not gonna go into all of it. But he landed 271 out of 646. He threw uh, 57 body shots and landed rather and he landed 247 power shots vivas uh through a whopping 930 but only landed 207 total and landed 89 body shots so uh it was it was an eye-friendly scrap but if both of those fighters continue to scrap like that uh especially vivas they're gonna have short careers because that's not a fight that you want to see a modern boxer in if you want him to have a long career but that's what I thought. Like, I don't know where Gonzalez goes from here because, you know, he always just seems to stay in the mix, but thought it was a solid scrap in and of itself. Did you have anything else on, on that card itself or did you want to move on? No, what I do want
0: to mention uh, two things from that zone uh, card. You know, on the undercard, you have Fabio Wardley. He took out uh, Michael Coffey in a controversial stoppage. I thought that Michael Coffey, he was doing a good job of... um moving around, you know, kind of pot shotting a little bit. He got caught in the fourth. And then as soon as he got caught, he really wasn't that hurt, kind of stunned a little bit. And then Wardley ended up, you know, throwing a barrage of punches. Most of them were not landing. And then the referees just jumped in there and, and stopped the fight. Um, but, you know, Wardley's an upcoming UK guy. So he's somebody to look out for. Um, the other thing is on that the zone card that they mentioned the rematch between um, Mauricio Lara, and Lee Wood, so that's going to uh, take place. Both guys got in the ring yesterday, and uh, you know Wood is talking about maybe he should box a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I just wanted to mention that from yesterday's fight card I'm on his own side.
1: Cool. So yeah, we're gonna move on to the predictions. All in all, it was a pretty decent fight week this past weekend. But looking forward to next week, that should be a really good one as there there are several fights going on throughout the weekend. Uh, first, we're going to go into another top ranked fighter uh, who was linked to Robes Ramirez, actually, fought him in the 2016 Olympics, uh, Shakur Stevenson. He's coming back. This is his first fight at Lightweight. He's fighting Shirichiro Yoshino. Uh, what are the odds going into this one, Will? And what do you think is going to happen? You
0: know, uh, Shakur is also linked to Joey Gonzalez. Uh, when I looked at the odds uh, on Bovado, they had an 18 1 in favor of Shakur. And for good reason, you know, um, before I even mention about these fights uh, or this fight in particular, the three fights that we're going to preview, they all have two things in common. One, the headliner, the headliners are softball. And then the other thing is that all three fighters are going to be fighting at home town. So what are the odds of that? Now, going to this one, you got Shakur, who's 19 and old, he has nine KOs. He's 25 years old, out of Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Shirichiro, uh, Yoshino, he's 31 years of age, 16 and 0, 12 KOs. He's 5'8 with a 68-inch reach. He's out of Tokyo, uh, Japan. And Yoshino, in his last fight, was pretty impressive. He knocked out uh, Nakatani. Uh, in his last bout. I want to say it's like around the fourth round or so, but he was putting some serious hurt on Nakatani in that one, and he showed me that he has some really heavy hands. What he does, he's a plotter, um, but he can adapt in fights. He can crack with both hands, and um, that's what's going to make this fight uh, interesting uh, for Shakur. But outside of that, the previous fight that he had, I want to say the gentleman's name was Ido. He used to have one of the belts at 130, or one, yeah, 130. Uh, and that's the fight that the Marine, um, what's my man's name? That uh, Shakurian. Yeah, so Harry was the one who defeated him. Um, but with that being said, he didn't look too impressive in that fight, but he did look impressive against Nakatani. But was it the fact that Nakatani is kind of used up after all of the beatdowns that he had? I don't know. You know, so that's what's going to, you know, that's what I want to see early in this fight. Um, Is he looking more like he did in the fight that he had against Ito? Or is he looking more like he did against Nakatani? Um, Shakur, you know, Shakur can do it all. Um, But the interesting thing about this fight is the fact that Shakur kind of went down a list of 135-pound fighters that he wanted to face. That included uh, Esau Pitbull Cruz. Pitbull Cruz declined the fight. Um, He wanted William Cepeda. Uh, William Cepeda didn't necessarily decline a fight, but I think his people more so uh, chose to go in a different direction. He was calling out people like Gambosa. Gambosa, that's kind of too soon. You know, he got to get himself back together after the loss to Devin. And finally, uh, Yoshino accepted the challenge. So you got to commend him for that. Like I say, Shakur is one of the most talented fighters in the sport of boxing with the speed, the accuracy, boxing IQ, the defense, the reflexes. And the only thing for me that I question with him and is discipline. And some people say, well, you know, he just couldn't make weight." And, you know, those. I'm not even talking about that necessarily, even though that is something that I think was an issue, but I'm not even talking about that. I hear the stories. I, I go, um, the gym that I go to, I hear some of the comments that people make who are familiar with him and his people when he was training in Alexandria. And So some of the things that I'm hearing, some of the stuff that I'm hearing, you know, who he's hanging with and stuff like that in Houston, you know, that could be kind of a red flag, you know, in terms of how that transpired in his career, you know, in the ring. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the only thing. I don't think that's going to play a factor. And that's, you know, he's going to be back home. He is going to be just way too fast for this guy. Sukor is the heaviest puncher. Um, but I just think he's going to be getting off on Chirichio uh, a lot because of the hand speed and Yoshino. Yoshino is 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 on the slow side, but he does pack a punch. Um, if I had to just make a flat out prediction in this one, I and I think he's tough. I mean, when I talk about Yoshino, I think he's really tough, and I don't know if it's going if it's going to come to a point where. Shakur lands something that kind of stuns him and then he's he'll finish him off or if he's going to get cut or if his corner is just like, man, he's just taking too much punishment, even though you don't look like you are on the verge of being KO'd or anything like that. You just can't win. So we want to stop the fight on the referee decides, I don't know. But if I had to make a decision, I would just have to go with a 12-round unanimous decision for Shakur Stevenson because he is making his first foray into the 135-pound weight class. He didn't look... That powerful at one thirty, but then again, that could be the fact come from the comes from the fact that he was struggling to make weight um, as well. But we'll see. I know. I just know at the end of the day, he's going to win this one rather easily.
1: Yep. I mean, when you look at it, Yoshino does have a two inch height advantage. Reach is pretty much the same. Like you said, he last got that six round knockout against Nakatani back in November. Uh, Shakur's last win was a a pretty convincing. Decision when it gets out back in September. Um, like you alluded to, he's ranked third in the WBC, Yoshino is ranked sixth. Uh, this is an eliminator, and so the winner becomes the mandatory for the WBC belt. So, in theory, the winner should fight the winner of Haney and Loma. Um, uh, I think this is going to be a good test for Shakur for his first fight at Lightweight. You know, um, I don't know how much Yoshino is going to respect his power. Like you said, this is his first fight at lightweight, and so we don't know if Shakur's lack of power at 130, especially towards the tail end, came from him just trying to make that weight or what. Like That remains to be seen. Um, but Yoshino is a naturally bigger fighter, and he has power uh, with a 75% knockout ratio. He has a good jab, but for what I've seen, he just doesn't use it all the time. And he also likes to use a high guard, which if you watch Shakur when he fought uh, Oscar Valdez, he ate up Valdez's high guard. He was kind of using that to his advantage. Um, Again, from looking at the Nakatani fight, I, I didn't think that that was the same version of Nakatani we had seen before. But even then, I thought that Yoshino would kind of let him dictate the pacing spots. And like sometimes fighters are like that. Like they'll kind of they're they're more of a defensive fighter or they'll just kind of go with the flow. And then some fighters are more offensive and they'll they'll set up what they want to set up. And they you will have to get them out of their game for them to not try to do what they want to do. This is gonna be a huge step up for Yosino. Know, like he has fought world level guys, but all his other fights have been all his fights have been in Japan against more so domestic guys and One could argue that by the time he fought Ito and and Nakatani, are they domestic-level fighters at this point? I don't know. But uh, this is going to be his first fight outside of Japan. And if you let Shakur dictate the pace, he's going to piece you up. That's just what it is. And so that's what I think is going to happen. I think Shakur is going to win by decision. He's going to box at range. He's going to get under that high guard. He's going to use Fanks to set him up. And he's gonna present too much of a problem for Yoshino. Uh, do you have anything else on this one?
0: No, sir. Um, but also, you know, we got you know that's that's the first of uh, a nice uh, fight card, a nice three fight cards that we're gonna have next week. The next one that we're gonna discuss is my boy Bam. Oh, Bam. Jesse Bam Rodriguez, he's going to be in action next week. He's going to be taking on the unheralded Christian Gonzalez. What's your prediction on that fight?
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Bovada has Bam at minus 2,500, uh, plus 1,000 for Gonzalez. Uh, coming into this fight, we have Bam. He He's 17 to no, 11 knockouts, 5'4", 67-inch reach. 23 years old. And he last beat Israel Gonzalez back in September by unanimous decision. Uh, Gonzalez, he's 15 and one with five knockouts. Uh, inch taller five for five with a 60 cents, 66 inch reach. He's 32 years old and he last uh, beat Juan Zuniga by a first round knockout. This one here is for the vacant WBO flyweight championship. This is also Bam's first fight back down to 112 in a little over a year. A few concerns off the bat for Gonzalez. One is he hasn't had any meaningful rounds in just under two years. And that was three fights ago when he fought Saul Juarez uh, to a 10-round unanimous decision. Now, Juarez, he was 25 and 13. Uh, three of his wins were against fighters making his de- their debuts. And his sole loss was in 2019 to the then one and no angel Lardizabal. Another thing is y'all know how I feel about fighters who have never fought outside their own country, and so this is gonna be his first fight in the U.S. Granted, it's Texas, but it's gonna be first fight in the U.S. So arguably, he has fought a lot of domestic level guys, and he's having a huge step up of uh, fighting a world level, pound, arguably pound for pound fighter in in Ben Rodriguez. Um, when I saw his fights, like he punches kind of wide, his punches aren't super accurate, they don't like they have a ton of pop. And so, Bam, you know, he's a fighter who may not only be the best at fly weight, uh, but he also may arguably be the best at uh, the 115 pound division, which is very top heavy. You got Estrada at that weight class, you got Chocolatito at that weight class, so he might be the best out of those guys. We don't know. And he, I believe he vacated that belt. And so um, he won't be going back up there. I don't think until, you know, he's done that 112. But, you know, he knows when to sit down on punches. He knows how to, he knows when to work angles. And he's going to be the bigger fighter coming into this one. After those impressive wins against Quadras and Soronguza last year, he did not look as impressive in his September outing against Israel Gonzalez. Um, but I don't think that this Gonzalez that he's fighting is going to be able to turn with Bam the way the other one was, and so the way I see this one going, I think Bam is going to get a stoppage here. I'm gonna just throughout the ninth round. I feel like it's going to be a mid, a mid late mid round stoppage. So I'm gonna just say a ninth round stoppage for this one.
0: I'm trying to look at this man highlights, and I'm I don't know if this fight's uh, gonna go past the glove touch. You understand what I'm saying? He might wobble himself. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is crazy um like you said the, the, the domestic level opponents that he's faced and then also the guys that he's fought a lot of them have so many losses and then you add on to that that the losses he's fought guys who have multiple losses in a row and then he fights them. you know you fight one, one of the best of the best man um he's still maybe the youngest champion boxing. You, uh, you know, like you said, he's moving down, so he's going to be a stronger guy in this fight. The current champ, I can't remember what his name is, but he he ended up relinquishing that belt because he couldn't make weight. But I think he's also Bam's uh name also. And, you know, this guy's unknown, unheroid. All the fights in Mexico, domestic love, no power you know, like I said, resume has all of those meager opponents on there. This feels is just a recipe for disaster in terms of like the length of the fight. I'm going to go on this one because he's so wide. Does not have anything that is going to like put Bam, you know, Bam has fought Sir Romicide. He's fought Carlos Quadras, and and at certain points he gets to the, the part of the fight where he's not even really respecting them. So I don't need to see him respecting this guy out of out the gate. I think that this will end in round, I'm gonna give the guy four rounds. And so, you know, as far as how we do this, that'll give me rounds three and to five to be able to collect those three points. Um, but that's what I see. I think Bam is gonna be able to get this guy out sooner than later. So I'll say round three. But the biggest thing though, bro, is that Bam going down to one twelve. The fight that that only matters, and I don't know if you're familiar with the kid, but Sonny Edwards. Sonny right. Edwards the UK. Yeah, that's the one that I want to see. So I'm to see how Bam looks and, and, and see, you know, if he can get this guy out of there early and look tremendous doing it. And then hopefully that this will set up a fight with him and Sonny Edwards. Wherever that fight shall take place, I, I look forward to that one because Sonny Edwards is not the most offensively uh talented fighter, even though he does have talent offensively. Bam is, is is just all around, you know, with those angles and everything, um, and overall skill. He's one of he's a powerful pound, pound. But as far as defense, Sonny Edwards is one of the best defensive fighters in boxing. So that would be a tremendous fight. So I'm hoping that Bam can go ahead and do away with this one, and that'll set up a fight between him and Sonny Edwards and maybe later the latter part of the summer.
1: Yeah, no, I can see it because I, I want to say literally yesterday it was announced that uh Edward signed to Matchroom. So they're stable mates now, if that is the case.
0: Oh man, that'd be a good. Thing.
1: Yes, sir. Last fight we'll preview for next week. We had the Towering Inferno. He is a mandatory for Charlo, but not yet because Charlo has to heal. Then Charlo has to uh fight Tim Zoo. But we have Sebastian Fandora. He is coming back to action to fight Brian Mendoza, who just looked really good against Jason Rosario back in November. What are the odds for this one, Will? And how do you see it playing up?
0: Not sure. I saw uh, uh Bavado having around a 14 uh, to 1 in favor of the towering inferno, uh, Sebastian Fandora. I don't know if I think that might be a little high um in this fight, but We'll see. Because like you said, Mendoza, he looked really good against against Banana uh, in his last fight. But was Rosario just kind of washed? Because he hasn't really looked that good since the Charlo fight. But he kind of was vulnerable before the Charlo fight. But he just kind of was exposed and it's just getting worse and worse. Kind of has a glass body and glass chin. And Mendoza took full advantage of those opportunities that were presented and got him out of there um, in the mid part of that fight. Now, um, Mendoza, he's 29 years of age. I think he's progressively getting better and better each and every go. He's, they say that he's a very hard worker inside the gym, and it's been paying off on him. He has two losses. Uh, one of them was against Jesus Ramos. In, in, in a, um, I think Ramos clearly won that fight, um, which says a lot about Ramos, because Mendoza is pretty solid. He has another loss early in his career against a guy named Larry Gomez. And like I said, this guy, he's determined, he's a hard worker, and he's and he's rather disciplined. Um, as far as Fendora, we know what Fendora likes to do. He's all action-packed. His last fight that he had in October was a win against Carlos Ocampo, um, a previous foe in, um, of Aero Specs, who got him out of there and one. Sebastian, he's 25 years of age, has a whopping 80-inch reach, 20-0-1 with 13 KOs. He's a southpaw six five and a half height, you know, that he that he he comes into the ring with. So he's gonna to be towering over Mendoza. This fight, it's just gonna depend on what Fedora is trying to do because it looked like an on fight that he's working on a few things. He's working on trying to fight from outside a little bit more if he has to do that against you know tougher opposition. You know, so he was attempting to do that. Doesn't look comfortable. Or he didn't look comfortable in the last fight doing that. And that could be the fact that he just one of those long, tall guys who likes to get that leverage on the inside. It also could play a factor in his eyesight. When you look at him outside the ring, he has those bifocals on, so we don't know how well he can see past a certain distance, you know, and that might be something that future opponents might want to take advantage of and test out, you know, when they're faced to Sebastian Fedora. I don't know if that's going to be the case in this one. That's not, like, really what Mendoza does. He's more of a fighter. He likes to fight on the inside, um, that's Sebastian Fandora's wheelhouse. I think Mendoza is tough enough. Fandora to me, he looked very powerful when he fought Luby, but he didn't look necessarily as powerful when he fought Ocampo. I don't know um, which one it would be as far as the pop in his punches. But I think, irregardless of which Fandora shows up in terms of his power, I still think that Mendoza probably will have enough um, in the tank. He'll have enough gall and determination to be able to make it all 12. I think this fight is going to be like an 8-4 in the favor of Sebastian Fendora, and it's going to go 12 rounds, as I stated. And, you know, Mendoza's is going to have some success at certain points, but when it's all said and done, the towering in front of him will have his hands raised once the final bell rings.
1: So the, the few narratives that I heard when in this fight, you know, like you said, people aren't sure who Fendora is after he looked Really good against Lubin, and then how okay he looked against Ocampo. Um, he can have this tendency to make some of those fights harder than they have to be, but he still gets the job done, whether you know it looks great or not. Uh on Mendoza's end, you know, he's 29 years old, so he's older. The narrative for him is that, you know, he's coming off a career best win, but you know, Rosario, he had He was in some wars, you know, before that. He had that one really good fight against J-Rock. And then after that, he took a lot of damage and and he retired after that Mendoza fight. So objectively, he beat a version of Rosario who was one fight away from retirement. I think that this is going to be a fight where the fighters show us who they are. You know, forget who they beat. I think the natural tendencies of the fighters is going to be what shows out here. I think Fendora, he's going to break them down over time. Uh, both using his range and his infighting. He's not a huge knockout puncher. And Mendoza hasn't been stopped before, but I could see him probably getting that decision win. I wouldn't, I won't be surprised if he got a late stoppage, to be honest with you, because of Mendoza's willingness to, to bang. But I'm going to put the decision, the 12th round decision on wax. So that's why I think that happen. Do you have yeah. anything else for this one? No, I was just gonna say that's
0: more than likely gonna because I I'm looking and just doing the research in this for this fight, looking at Mendoza against Ramos, he was able to withstand you know the stuff that Ramos is bringing, and I think Ramos hits harder than Fandora. Now Fendora is gonna hit you more because he's going to be more action packed, but he took some shots against. Ramos that leads me to believe that he should be able to take what it is that Fandora is 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 throwing at him. He should be able to, but again, you just never know with Fandora because you're getting hit from different angles. He's like he's swarming on you. He can get that leverage, and you know he might hit him in the body shot or something like that that can get him out of there too. So we'll see. I look forward to next week because you got the you know the triple the triple on top. You know with the three different fight cards. Um, and, you know, it's, it's all guys that are fighting that, you know, they my guys. Like, I like all of these dudes, too. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, same. And you also, don't forget the undercard, you know, with Shakur. You got my guy Keyshawn coming back. Jared Anderson fights, I believe. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good weekend, man.
0: Yes, sir. Um, we got, you know, that's, that's it as far as, like, the recaps and – the previews that we have for next week. Now, uh, we're going to go ahead and get get off into a few news topics uh, that happened this past week. I think the first thing, a uh, notable thing that I saw in the news, Danny, was the Devin Haney and Momachenko fight. It's going to happen May 20th. And when it comes to these, bro, I'm going to go ahead, and uh, since we kind of like the tail end of the show, you know, I'm going to go ahead. It's just so I don't end up like, I'm trying to, get it where I'm like, uh, I'm Barry James and how he does Anthony Joshua, where he doesn't like get tired, like towards the end of the fights. And so I'm, like, I'm going to try to mellow out a little bit as far as uh what it is that I'm doing. So let me go ahead and well, pop a little bit of this wine. So you go ahead and cook while I can open the chat. And, you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> Cheers to you. um But yeah, man, um I'm glad that it finally got made. We knew it was going to happen. Like, I still don't like that they couldn't get the fight done before Ramadan. Um, But I'm excited that there's an actual date for it now. And that is real. Um, You know, we don't know, you know, the narrative for this one is, is Loma too old? Because, you know, granted, you know, his country's at war and he didn't look great when he came back and he fought Jermaine Ortiz. So that's the narrative for that one. Uh, Haney obviously had a really good 2022 According to the D Lee Sportsbook, I got Haney as a three-one favor right now. But but yeah, I'm excited that it's getting made and, and shout out to 2023 for boxing because you know we have some of the best fighters fighting the best. So that's what I got. What about you? What you think? Are you buying into
0: that narrative that MoMA is too old and that they they kind of diminishing, you know, a victory for Devin going into the fight? And then they also that would kind of make the fight even more of a big event or a big thing for Loma if he wins. And they said that he's too old and he's still be Devin and he's, you know, mm-hmm. 41 years old. What do you think about
1: that? You know, I like the way Haney, Haney said that, you know, they asked Haney about that. Haney was like, no, don't, don't, don't be saying all that. Cause you're not going to diminish my win. I mm-hmm. like the way he came with that. Haney's a mature guy in general. You know, uh, he's the young champion himself. And uh, I think the youngest undisputed champion for sure. but, but, yeah, like, I – you you make the fights, you know? Like, he had the opportunity. Another thing I like that Haney said is, you know, you should have fought me back in 2019, 2020, because now it's going to get worse for you. And so, like, if you were to give this – if you were to play this narrative with another fighter, maybe. But when you look at the history and that Loma had the opportunity to fight him back when he was a little bit more green, a little bit younger, before he earned some more strikes – there's no excuse for this. So if if Haney wins, I think that Haney is the best fighter. Like he's the better man. Like no, no age about it, no nothing. You know, injuries is one thing, but age, I don't really want to hear it for this fight.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't think it, that would if whoever wins this fight, I don't think it would be because of that necessarily. And even if it was, like you said the fact that Loma had the opportunity before and he chose to go in a different direction, you know, that it's on him, you know, the fact that they're fighting now, you know, as opposed to then. So I think those are the biggest issues. But when it comes to this fight, now, Devin sounded really confident in his ability, like, to make weight and that going to be comfortable at 135, which it sounds good, but it didn't look like that would be the case based on what how he looked going into his last fight against Cambosis, because just going into the fight, like the day of the weigh-in and leading up to the fight, he just looks so drawn. So maybe he's working with somebody who's gonna help him get down to 135. And that gets more and more difficult. You know, he's like 24, 25 years old. And I wanna say 24. He's a grown dude. You understand know what I'm saying? So but we'll see. That's not an excuse because he's signed to fight. This. He's talking about if he's successful in this one, that he'll fight Tank and all of that type of stuff. So, you know, I think they both have things that challenges that they're going to have entering into the fight. There's no excuse once May 20th um, happens and it may, may the best man win. Also, you got a new date for Stephen Fulton and the Monster New Way. They're going to fight July 25th in Tokyo. Do you have any thoughts on that, you know, as far as the new date that they have and and whatnot?
1: I don't know if I have anything new. I just, you know, I just hope that both fighters, you know, obviously we take these things for granted sometimes because fights get made and then, you know, people have injuries, you know, but I just hope that it happens on that date, you know, because I don't want to get to a point where either fighter, in this case it would be Fulton, has been out the ring too long and, and, you know, if you in camp and then you got to stop camp and restart camp. So I, I hope this is the last time that this happens, you know, within anyone's control reasonably. But I'm excited about it. This is one of the fights that I didn't see coming, but I'm the most ex- one of the most excited about for uh, for this year. And so, yeah, wishing both fighters health. You know, you got anything? Nah, but I'm just happy that
0: they, you know, didn't decide, like, Fulton decided, like, okay, I'm going to fight somebody else cuz then something else happens, you know what I'm saying? You might have a cut or this or that. And so it's good to know that they have a new fight date. I don't know a new way to be a person who, like, typically has injuries or postpones fights. You know, I think that was um, just something that happened out the blue. And, you know, moving forward, I think that we got a hot one, you know, coming up in late July. The last topic of the day is going to be, you know, Virgil Ortiz. He's in a situation where he had to postpone his second time in his career. He had to postpone a fight because of a condition or something that he has that um, it seems to be pretty serious. So his fight with a Am- Amatis Stagnon is, is postponing indefinitely. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, this one is interesting because, well, for one, I'll just say that uh, this was supposed to happen back on March 18th. Uh, but Stanionis had to have that emergency appendectomy. Um, but like you were saying, this is Virgil's second flare-up with, I hope I don't butcher it, but it's rhabdomyolysis. Uh, the first time was last year when he was supposed to fight Michael McKinson. And looking at WebMD, it's a pretty serious condition. It's caused by either a direct or indirect muscle energy um, that causes the death of the fibers, the muscle fibers, and uh, the release of their contents into the bloodstream. And so, you know, uh, it can lead to kidney damage. It can lead to death, worst case scenario. And so they were able to catch it early. But the fact that this is happening again, I don't know if he's overtraining. I don't know if he needs to move up in weight or what. Like one can only speculate on that one. Um, I also don't want to speculate on this, but this is the second camp that he's been without robert garcia as well and so i don't know if it's a thing like i don't know who's all in his camp nutritionist or strength and conditioning or what but you know i just hope that they know that guy man enough to make sure he's taken care of you know uh to the best extent that they can but wishing him good health you know he has a bright future ahead of him and i would hate for something like this to cause any temporary or permanent damage to his body you know what i mean so um this is another fight I'm excited about, so I hope that they're able to to move forward without any more interruption. You got anything? Yeah, it's,
0: it's it's unfortunate, man, and and most importantly, you just want the young man to get his health back intact and whatever means that he has to use in order to have that happen. If he's moving up, whatever, you know what I mean? Like like I said, the things that you mentioned as far as the um, side effects or the effects of having that condition, man, that's that's too uh traumatic to, to mess with. You know what I mean? So whatever it is you need to do, make sure your health is intact first. Um, you know, obviously that's an all-action plan fight if it ever happens, because you got two Rams that will collide. I think that fight, it might be beneficial to both guys to not have this fight for as far as fans, we want to see it. But that that could very well be one of those fights that take a couple of fights off these guys' careers because they both gonna be coming at an it and they nonstop, you know, type of fighters who never say die, and it's gonna keep coming. And if somebody gets hurt, they're not gonna quit. They're gonna go out on their shield. So it'll make for one of those type of fights. The other thing next week that I didn't that we don't have to talk about is we got another fight like that, man. You know, Bhuttayev and Green Machine are gonna fight
1: next week too. I did not know. Oh, man. <laughs> so you got another collision
0: course against, like, two Rams that's going to be going head to head. But, um, you know, Virgil, man, we wish you nothing but good health. And April 29th was looking to be a promising day in the sport of boxing. But that fight has been postponed. We didn't get the Usyk Joshua. Not Usyk uh, Fury. Yeah. It's to take place as well. But you know we'll
1: see what happens, man. You got anything in closing? Um, as we wrap this bad boy up. Uh, not on the boxing note, but man, I just want to salute the guys from where I trained Jiu-Jitsu element. Uh, the guys that competed yesterday, you know, salute, salute to Marcus who who won gold both in the gi and the no, no gi competitions. Uh, shout out to Tristan who competed for the first time, Chandler, David, Matt, Carlito. Uh, shout out to those guys, man. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu was a hard sport. Uh, it's a very hard martial art, and and people don't really know what it is until you go and see it. And, and, and then th- those guys, if, if you compete, like, you, you went there with a dog because it, it takes a special kind of person to compete with that. So, so shout out to those guys, you know, in much respect.
0: Yeah. How many uh, matches did you see?
1: Man, I saw probably about – I was there for about four hours. I probably saw – because it was like kind of like a round robin type of deal. So I Probably saw about 10 or 12 matches for, for, for my guys, you know what I mean. Do people get knocked out and stuff like that? No, nah, they just get uh, it, it's grappling, you know what I mean? So they get submitted, but no knockout stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good, that's good.
0: But yeah, man, we can go ahead and close things up next week again. We had a big three, you know. I think Villas he might be out there in Detroit or something like that. You know, when he goes back, he like Parnell Hill, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you miss me. You know. <laughs> So, you know, we welcome the brother back next week. Hopefully, you enjoy what we uh, brought to the table today. On that note, we have uh, Peace. Peace.